During the reading of the Bible, during the sharing of Jesus' message of peace, a great miracle occurred. Jesus appeared to more than 200 of them in their dreams. These men, living in a context of great suffering and violence, found comfort and solace in Jesus' appearance. And following this miraculous event, they decided to convert to Christianity. Welcome to another edition of Dr. Ball's Worldviews. I'm Dr. Ball. They're out there claiming to be converted. Jesus is visiting people, especially the Muslims, in foreign countries. He's showing up in their dreams and they're being converted by the thousands. At least so goes the report. That's what you just heard. This is nothing new. Some have taken old news, brushed it off, rolled it around a little bit, made it their own, and voila, instant conversions in a worn, torn part of the world. The problem is, it's not true. A lot of people would like to think otherwise, but it's a worldview that says, you know what, we can do an end run around the Bible, and we're going to get Jesus in on fulfilling his own commission that he gave Christians, the obligation and the order to fulfill, and that via his word. This is a problem. When you ignore the Bible, ignore the commands, and then set out to do your own thing, you've created your own version of Christianity. And this is something that I remember reading years ago. And in fact, I revisited here not too long ago. Uh, Jay Gresham Machen made a comment about how the liberalism of the world has become its own religion. And there's a lot of this going on in the world today where they're claiming these types of things in the name of Christianity. It is not Christian. Jesus never said nor did any of his apostles, that he was going to show up in a person's dreams and convert them. And we're going to see more of that here shortly as we study the the, uh, Christian Constitution, the, the latter half of chapter 10 here. And I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the program. I hope you'll share this with others. I hope you're equipped by this. Equipped by this, if I can just say it. Uh, I want to welcome uh, a new follower here, Mewima Jetty. Don't know where you're at in the world. When I check the stats here, I see this pretty much everywhere. I would assume assume this is somewhere in Africa, just guessing. But welcome, Mewima Jetty. Yes, we are in Chapter 10 of the Book of Romans. We've been talking about what I said is the Christian Constitution as a way and means to be able to talk about worldviews that are contrary to Christianity, and some of them like to counterfeit it, this is going to serve as the basis for future podcasts, as well as the rest of the Bible, of course. But as I said at the very beginning, this lays the foundation. So many people don't have a clue what Christianity is about. In fact, I've got a guy who's still taking me to task or thinks he is, over the whole idea of something I presented here around Christmas time. The whole idea of the Roman Catholic priest calling down Jesus to be sacrificed not once, but a thousand times on the Roman Catholic altar 
and Christmas or Christ Mass and the Eucharist and all that kind of stuff served as a as a way to say this is what Christianity is about. This is the centrality, the central uh, doctrine of Roman Catholicism. I'm saying that is a bunch of nonsense. And the guy, he just he's incorrigible. He will not stand. Roman Catholicism, yeah, this is this is it, and you're wrong, and you're a, you're part of the KKK. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm part of the KKK. Why? Because I expose the nonsense for what it is, the heresy for what it is. Why? Because we come back to the Bible. God gave us this book for a very good reason, not only to serve as a light, to light our paths, to live our lives. In a, in a way that is a godly, godly lifestyle, but to expose the errors that are out there, and they are plethora. There are so many frauds in the world today. There were frauds in Jesus's day and the Apostle Paul's day, and they they've been around for millennia. I mean, this is this is the devil's you know trickery, uh, denying what God has to say, calling it into question, and then making up your own thing. Well, this book here, this book of Romans, is a great place. If you're going to be an apologist, you're going to be a polemicist, come back here. Learn it. Learn it well. Because by standing upon this, you'll not only save yourself, but the rest of your household. So we're in Romans chapter 10. Paul has just got done reiterating his desire that his own countrymen, the Jews, were lost and that they that they needed to be saved. And if it was up to him, he, you know, he had said this in chapter nine that he'd be accursed in their in their behalf if uh if it was possible that they might be saved. In chapter 10, he says, you know, they they have a great zeal for God. And lots of people are just like the Jews that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 10. They have a, a great zeal for God but not according to knowledge, not according to what the Bible says, not according to even what the Old Testament said that Paul is going to be alluding to and has alluded to time and again. They have great zeal, great emotion. I wrote an article here recently on my on my uh, uh, website, on a blog, talking about this charismania that is prevalent. In so-called Christianity, the whole idea of uh, dreams, you know, uh, dream salvation, the the part of the clip that I just, just started out with here. This charismatic, people are very emotional about that kind of stuff. Oh, it must be true because, well, this is God-honoring, and people are getting saved. I mean, we can't get into those countries, so he's just going to do it anyway. Now, I'm not saying that God can't. God can do whatever he wants to do, but there's no precedent for it, especially when the Bible makes it clear that the obligation, the blessing of anyone being saved is as a result of Christians obeying God to get out there and present the gospel. And these individuals that come up with all this emotionalism, and like it wasn't just the assemblies of God, but it's the Roman Catholics once again that are in on this ruse. They're not presenting the gospel, so they think, you know what, we're going to get all caught up in once again this charismania and think, well, God's going to do it. We're going to go get all ecstatic about it and 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 assume that God is doing something that God has nothing to do with. So when Paul says, you know, they have this zeal, these, these fellow Jews have this zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, he's talking about God's righteousness that he has revealed in the gospel, in the person of Jesus, by faith. That's how God is going to rescue anybody, whether it is the Jews that Paul's talking about or the Gentiles whom the Apostle Paul was commissioned to reach with the gospel. It's going to be the same message for both Jew and Gentile. 
but it's not according to dreams. It's not this kind of occult type evangelism, if you will. You know, I, I, I wrote a response to this somewhere online that was reporting this kind of stuff. And I, you know what they say, oh, Jesus showed up in their dreams. And I, I, I just simply asked the question, well, what did he look like? We don't have a definition. We don't have a picture. We don't have any kind of uh, painting, sculpture, anything to go on of what Jesus looked like. We've got, in fact, we got what we do have over in Isaiah chapter 52 is a depiction of a person who was beaten. So, you know, all of these little things, uh, you know, little pictures that people like to carry around with them or maybe have on their living room wall about Jesus, he's blue-eyed guy with the long hair. That's just artist depiction. We don't know what he looked like, but yet he's showing up in these dreams. How do they know it was Jesus? This is the part, this is problematic with charismania. It's, people are very zealous about it, but it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to what God has revealed, and I think there's a good reason why what we see of Jesus, whether in Isaiah 52 or when you get over to the book of Revelation and you have this, this individual coming back on a white horse and he's got a sharp two-edged, sung, uh, uh, sharp two-edged sword <laughs> coming out of his mouth, his tongue, uh, being the word of God, and he's, his, uh, where he's dressed in white and his uh, robe is dipped in blood— there's a good reason why. Because people, being in their sinful nature, kind of almost like the Jews back in the Old Testament, I mentioned this last podcast, they want something to hold on to, something tangible that they can control. And so they set up these idols. There is no picture of Jesus. Otherwise, you know, we would have that kind of thing taking place with him. Oh, we're going to bow down and worship this image of Jesus and not even have a clue who he is. Why? Because we, we have divorced ourselves from the word of God. So when we come to Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, we'll read through this to the, to the, uh, to the end here, verse 21. We're going to see God's means of how to reach the lost. And he's going to start out by asking a series of questions. That's what Paul has done regularly here in the book of Romans. This dialogue that he carries on, some of which he has probably experienced as he's gone around to talk to people as well, to try to save some, using the Apostle Paul's words. And he's sharing this with Christians probably because, you know what, there in Rome, those Christians he's writing to here in this, in this letter, have experienced the same thing as well. And you will too if you are a blood-bought Christian of the biblical variety, you're going to run into these types of questions. If you're worth your salt, and you're going to have to know how to answer them. So Paul starts out in verse 14 of Romans chapter 10, and as I always do or try to do on a regular basis, whenever we're talking about biblical things, it's always good on the part of the person who's listening to follow along by getting the Bible out, turning to the page in your Bible, to the verse where I'll be reading, and follow along. Let God's word illumine your mind if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're going to poo-poo on it and make fun of it and have a good time and, and uh, you know, call people names and all kinds of stuff and be the well, moron that the Bible says you are. I'm a moron not necessarily mean you're abjectly stupid, but you're just acting like a fool, acting like a person that, uh, well, you, you set yourself up as your little deal. That's fine. God's going to hold you accountable too one day, so have your fun while you can. But to everybody else... If you're a Christian, get out your Bible, whatever it might be, English Standard Version that I use, uh, NIV, King James, NAS, RSV, ASV, whatever it is, something that is re reputable, something that is relatively close to what the Greek rendering is, and follow along. Verse 14, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
This follows on what the Apostle Paul had laid out to those who are going to be justified by God through confession with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. I said before, Christianity is not a private endeavor. It's not something that, well, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to to crawl back in the closet, and I'm only going to bring this out when, well, maybe probably never, or maybe within the four walls of the church, where I'm with other people who are cowards too, who are ashamed of Jesus, we don't dare want to get that out there in public because the public says there's separation of church and state, and you can't come here with that thing. You will be like Peter and John. You will not utter a word in the name of Jesus. It is forbidden. And uh, you can either do what Peter and John did, say, well, sorry, but... Uh, you can, you know, that that's fine with your conscience, but that's not fine with ours. We must obey God rather than men. Christianity is not a private endeavor. It is a public endeavor. So Paul asks this question, how then will they call on him in whom they uh, have not believed? How, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're said? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Some variants here say the Word of God. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone to all the out, gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Paul starts out asking all of these questions. Kind of get the reader's mind in gear and and get him thinking along. I just got done preaching to the to you know the, the Roman Christians are writing about how those that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's one element in the whole miraculous event of salvation. Just somebody even calling them on the name of the Lord. Because as Paul has outlined previously, and I've tried to stress here over and over and over, it is not within a natural man, to call upon the name of the Lord. He doesn't want to. He's lost. He's content being a renegade. So they're not going to call on God. And so Paul asks, how then will they? Who is they? The lost person, which is going to be both Jew and Gentile. Like I said, the The oracles of God have been delivered to Israel, but because of their rejection that Paul has made clear here in chapters 9 and 10 so far, 9, 10, 11, dealing with what happened to Israel amid this outreach to the Gentile world, what happened to them? They're lost, but so is the Gentile world. So he's saying, well, how then are they going to call on him? If they're going to be saved, how are they going to do this if they've not believed? And that's that whole idea of belief there. That's that word pistil. That's that Greek word we translate as faith. The just shall live by faith. By faith, you're going to be redeemed. How, How is this going to take place? They can't on their own as I've illustrated before, and Paul's going to make clear a little bit further on down in the book of Romans, 
this, this gift of faith is not given to everybody. How are they going to call if they don't believe? The answer, this, this actually has a kind of a twofold answer here. Number one, <laughs> they're not. Nobody is going to believe in God until God draws that person into a faithful, believing relationship. I pointed this out before over in the uh, the book of John, uh, chapter 6 and verse 44, as well as verse 65. And this kind of blows the whole argument away. You're going to come and get Jesus. Come down front and confess his name. Uh, That's not for you to do. God is going to draw those whom he has elected. Election is part of what Paul's writing about here in the book of Romans. We've seen that before. God is going to draw those whom he has elected to be his children, his child. They were generate. He says uh, in verse uh, 44 of the book of John, his, his gospel, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. And he reiterates this later on. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. How is this going to happen when God decides it's time to take place? But he goes on and he asks this next question, dealing with faith. How are they going to have faith or how are they going to believe in him, trust in him, have this unwavering devotion to him? How are they going to do this? Another how question. What's the means? What's the mechanism of whom they have not heard? What? What What was it? Have not heard? You mean hearing is a part of it as well? How are they going to do this? Hearing is a part of salvation? Well, once again, this is kind of a twofold answer to this type of a question. <laughs> Number one, they're not. This is once again a counter to this whole thing I just opened up the uh, the podcast with. How are they going to hear if it's just in a dream? Oh, but they heard him in a dream. Did you know and I've got, researchers have have uh, you know come out with various different studies on, you know when you have a dream, uh, nobody ever does any talking. There's all those images. But nobody talk, nobody really says anything. He said, no, 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 I've heard. No, 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 no. It, it, you, the, the, uh, the words and, and the like don't come from somebody else. They come from you. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, okay. But the point is, when it comes to salvation and belief and faith, there is actually a hearing element to it. That's what convicts the heart. The spoken word, that which you comprehend, that is only possible with the presence of the Spirit of God as he moves the sinner into a position of confession which is by words as well. As I've said before, and you probably, it may be one of the few Greek words you might learn on your own, only because of my repetitiveness of bringing up, bringing up the word, hama, meaning same, lageo, means word, I speak. Speaking in, involves words. Speaking the same word which is a way of saying, I agree with what God has said. That's part of hearing. How are they going to believe? Of whom they have not heard? They're not. And they're not going to until somebody speaks it to them. And that commission is being given to human beings. Other Christians, go back and read Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus sends them out, 
you know, with, with the last words, with what has been termed as the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Trinity. Make disciples. It didn't say make converts. So you go make disciples. Talk to them. That's what the Christian is supposed to be doing. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Uh Uh-oh. How are they going to hear without someone preaching? And and obviously, somebody else is going to have to do the speaking to the lost in order for the word to convict them of their need to be forgiven, to be regenerated, if they are, in Jesus' words, ever to see the kingdom of God. How are they going to do it? How are they going to hear? Involves sound waves, like what you're hearing coming through this podcast, coming from my voice to your ear. And with God's blessing, you will be equipped or improved in some way, whereby you can go speak after you got here in the Word, you, you read it, and, and, and it became, like I said, more illuminated in your mind, you understood it more, and you went and shared it with somebody else. Well, once again, this has a twofold answer to it. How are they going to hear? They're not without someone preaching. That's the mechanism. So that's the other answer. That's how they're going to hear when somebody is proclaiming the word to him or her. And so in verse 15, he says, once again, now, now he's going to kind of change here. He's going from the focus on the lost they, to those who are the proclaimers. How are they to preach unless they're sent? And who's going to send them? I'll just include that here. How are they going to preach? And what are they going to preach? Is it going to be the touchy-feely, soft and squishy gunk that you hear today in the name of Christianity that you flip on the boob tube and See somebody up there with their three-minute uh, blab it, grab it, you know, gospel, substitute or whatever it is, and the other 27 minutes before we run into 14 commercials is uh, give me your money? You think that kind of message is going to redeem anybody? Uh, no, at least not in a biblical sense. You might convert them to Joel Osteen, but Joel Osteen's not the Lord. In fact, Joel Osteen will lead you away from him. So how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, they're going to, how are they going to preach? Well, when they're filled with God's word, they're right here, there's a book right here in front of me, and God convicts them and then sends them, that's how. That's how it's going to take place. This is God's means of redeeming the lost. And so what Paul then does here in the second part of verse 15, he goes back to the Old Testament. You see this on a regular basis. He doesn't make it up on his own. You know, there's so many out there today that are deconstructing Christianity that they completely miss the message. They start preaching their own thing. And the really the Bible becomes, I don't know, a springboard? It's, it's abused. I mean, the message is not proclaimed because too many people are saying, this is the gospel according to whomever. It's not the gospel according to God. It's not the gospel that points to Jesus Christ, maybe a foreign Jesus, a fake one. But Paul, he, he sees the Old Testament as authoritative. It is God's word. It's God's inspired word. And you know what? If you're a Christian, that's how you should approach it. This is your standard. It's not some tradition that some phony baloney church uh, that pretends to be Christian. It's not the hierarchy that is your standard. It's right here. And if you're a Christian and you're part of the holy priesthood, the... uh, 
Apostle Peter talked about. You have direct access to God in that respect, whereby you can ask God to illumine your mind to help you understand his book here. You don't need somebody else. Just ask for the Spirit to show you from here. This is your objective standard. It's not touchy-feelyism. It's not, like I said, tradition that is predicated upon some man's opinion that actually contradicts God's Word. As I mentioned earlier, whether we're talking about dreaming evangelism or sacrificing Jesus not once but a thousand times upon the Roman altar. He goes back to the book of Isaiah, uh, specifically in Isaiah chapter 52, and he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And in that particular context, he's addressing the nation of Israel that is or is about to, go into captivity because of their abject sin and rebellion against God. And that the good news is that God is going to restore them. Here Paul is using it in the context of preaching the gospel to not only the Jews who were in rebellion, Paul's brethren, that he loved, said he was willing to give up his salvific stand in order that they might be saved, but also to the Gentiles. People who Paul's going to say here shortly weren't even looking for God. And there's going to be a message there as well. Stay tuned. But he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In fact, he's going to go on and say in 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 the book of Isaiah, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You want to have a message of peace to the world today? Preach the gospel. You hear about all this stuff about, especially today, oh, we got a free Palestine and all this garbage. We need to establish a, a new peaceful uh, agreement between Israel and yeah, Bull. How, how, how many, I mean, if they try to do this, how many of them are going to say, you know what? The, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He reigns, and Jesus is his son. He's the prince of peace. Let's make him the centerpiece of our peace. How many of them do you think are going to do that? Uh, well, probably none. So what, what kind of feet are they going to have? If, it's, if, if, if a person's feet, figure of speech here, are beautiful because they get out and they proclaim the message, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no peace without him? If their feet are beautiful, what kind of feet are those who preach a foreign gospel, a fake one, a fake peace? Uh, you know, in fact, the, the, the Jews back in the Old Testament, they were proclaiming peace and safety when there was none. And that was by God's revelation. And finally, God had enough of it. So I don't even pray for these people, as he told Jeremiah. Because judgment is coming. Well, to the lost person, Paul is addressing here. You know, he's saying, you know, uh, if, if you're going to escape the wrath of God, uh, going to be saved, rescued. Paul talks about, well, really up to this point, it's going to have to be through the gospel. And those who are proclaiming that message to you, their feet are beautiful. Their ways and their means are beautiful. 
In fact, when uh, when he talks about it here, he says, uh, you know, you preach the good news. <laughs> the, literally in the Greek, it just says the good. And, it, and, and in some manuscripts, that's even left out. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach. How much of that have we got going on in Christianity today? Those who proclaim the good news. Those who evangelize. In a biblical sense. I always throw that in there because there's lots of people that are chattering and don't say anything. They end up dumping people's problems right back in their lap and there's no solution. And yet God has given us one right here. So he says in verse 15, uh, verse 16, with a strong adversity of starting out the verse, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. They didn't obey in the, in the, in the Old Testament. That doesn't mean there wasn't a remnant, but they have not all obeyed. And they're not all going to obey. Some will. In fact, I had a, friend, had, a, had a discussion with a friend of mine yesterday about this very thing, about how many people are going to be saved and what is going to be the condition of those prior to and afterwards as far as like in heaven and hell and, and the resurrection and those who end up in hell and, you know, their resurrected body and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, I tried to point out, you know, there's not going to be that many that are going to be there. Some have estimated that there have been, I can't remember where this has been a while. There's obviously going to be more. There's like 8 billion people on the face of the earth right now. Some have estimated that in human history that there have been a little over 40 billion. I would venture, I'm just guessing, just basing it upon what Jesus had said, you know, that few are going to find that narrow gate that leads to eternal life. Uh, if you want, that reference is over in... Uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He's talking about eternal life. So I'm going to guesstimate, I'm just guesstimating. 10%? 10% of the whole human population in, in the history of human is going to end up in heaven. That's a lot, a lot of people. But that would mean there's probably, oh, wow, what, 90% of the human population, they're going to end up in hell one day. I'm, now, like I said, I don't have any scientific data on that. I'm just going to what Jesus said, con contrasting many and few. And that ought to drive us to our knees and just for those who are saved, Thank God. Because none of us deserve what God has for us as far as salvation is concerned. Everybody else will be left to their devices and they'll get to be lonely for all of eternity. But they have not all obeyed. The Jews didn't then. The Gentiles aren't today. There's going to be an elect few. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? I think it's a fair question. Because the prophets back in the Old Testament didn't have a whole lot of support from those who were preaching the gospel of faith and of repentance. It obviously weren't, you know, Jesus wasn't rolling off their tongues as a common term. But the faith principle has been the same in the Old Testament as well as the New. In fact, if you've been listening throughout these podcasts, the law that was given to the Jews was to drive people to faith in you know, a, a Savior that the Jews have missed. And so I think it's a fair question. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Only those whom God has chosen those whom he has predestined. That Paul talked about back in, in Romans chapter 8, those whom he has predestined, he has called and 
Those he's called, he's justified. Those he's justified, those he has glorified. God has already got this worked out. Those are the ones that are going to believe. Those are the ones that are going to have salvific faith. They understand where that came from. And they acknowledge it, and they say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I mean, it's almost like what uh, what you see over in, uh, also in the book of Isaiah, where the end, the angels say, the glory, glory, or holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. It's that type of, of a mentality. It's not me. I didn't save myself. In fact, Paul's going to make that case here shortly as well. So he says in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing. Uh-oh, here we go again. It's like, come on, Paul. Can't we do this a different way? Can't we just have some dreams and say it was Jesus and call it good? Uh, well, not, apparently not according to what the Bible has to say. And once again, this is not Paul's opinion. This is God's revelation to him to give to you and I. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In fact, that was one of the things that... Uh, that Jesus has spoken about, you know, that when it comes to uh, showing your love to him, to keep his commandments. Well, those commandments are part of what Jesus spoke. And when we're talking about the word of Christ, we're talking about the all-encompassing Bible itself. Now, once again, I'm not saying that the Apostle Paul had the whole Bible like I've got here in front of me at his disposal, and you flip page by page. No, he didn't have that. What he had was the Old Testament. And later on, as the church recognized the continuity that existed between what we see in the New Testament with what preceded it, that was recognized as being inspired by God as well. And see, this is what is missing with so many arguments today when they say, oh, well, I've got the Book of Mormon, or I've got uh, the Divine Principle, or I've got uh, the Canon of the Catholic Church, or whatever, is continuity. This is an argument I made when I wrote my PhD dissertation when we were talking about the extra revelation of, between the Quran and the Book of Mormon and the Bible. My argument was simply this. If those books were inspired by God, then the message that they portray in those books would not be contrary to what has already been revealed. There would be continuity. There would be this progression, well, basically based on the statement that what, what Jesus said when it comes to the scriptures, whether we're talking about the law and the prophets, they're about me. How do you know whether a another revelation is from God? Is it about Jesus? When you pick up the Book of Mormon and the Quran, they're not about Jesus. <laughs> you know, the Quran is, oh, good grief, it's all over the place. It's a scattered mess. You don't know where anything is really taking place. Uh, it was written in desperation, not to preserve the memory of Jesus, but to try to preserve this fake religion that, that Islam has become. Oh, now you're, you're bad-mouthing Islam. I'm telling you there's no continuity between what God had revealed before in the Old and the New Testament and the Quran. And the same thing pertains to Mormonism. You've got this declaration of the Nephites and the Lamanites and the Jaredites and the otherites and whatever out there, and Jesus is not the main function. Oh, this is another testament of Jesus Christ. It is no such thing. In fact, in many ways, pick up the Book of Mormon, you're reading was uh, verse Nephi 14.10, I think is what it is. You've got this declaration that the Bible is missing many precious truths and that all the concoctedness that Joseph Smith dreamed up when he wrote the Book of Mormon is filling in the blanks, and it contradicts it. And then you get into the specific doctrines of, of God being a, a, an exalted human being, and he's out there orbiting 
Starbase collab with his harem of wives and Jesus is his naturally born son here on earth through a sexual relationship with, with, with his daughter Mary. It's stuff like that that shows you that his revelation, Joseph Smith's revelation, has nothing to do with the Bible and therefore is not inspired. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ found here in his infallible, inerrant word that's put down here in various versions of whatever, updated language or whatever, and as long as it is complementary, true to the Greek text, this is what God intended for man when it came to proclaiming the good news that people hear and then they trust Christ as God redeems them. But I ask, Paul says in, in verse 18, have they not heard? Absolutely. He says, indeed, they've heard. In fact, they've heard in two different ways. Once again, he's talking about the Jews. And later he's going to talk about the Gentiles. They, they have heard. Their voice has gone out to all the earth. Now, this is a quote from the book of Psalms. And, you know, Psalms 19, this is what I call general revelation. Others have called it a general revelation as well. Because you get a general idea that we're, you know, we're not just a mistake. You know, a, a, a kind of a happenstance. All these molecules in Epicurean style. We just start bumping into each other, and voila, humanity. No, it didn't happen that way. They have heard, because the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Have we talked about that before? There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes, here's what Paul's referring to here in verse 18, in Psalm 19.4, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. The general revelation part here is that the created order that God brought into existence declares his glory. The lost man, whether he's Jew or Gentile, is going to try to suppress that. Paul had talked about that before early in the book of Romans. But just because they suppress it doesn't mean they have not heard it. They see the heavens and say, you know what? God made this. How do I know this? Because God has made it evident in me. That's what the Apostle Paul said earlier. Now, they may not say, oh, I'm going I'm to bow before God. In fact, many of them are, like I said, they're going to suppress the truth. They're going to run away from that. They're going to try to counter that. They're going to try to say, well, you know, uh, God was created in man's image. Got uh, that backwards there, bud. Man was created in God's image and with a very specific purpose, to worship and adore him and enjoy him forever. That didn't happen. Adam fell on his face. That nature was passed on to others. And as it seems like as time goes on, the more calloused, evil, disgusting, rotten, wicked people are becoming. I said before that uh, lying has become acceptable these days. In fact, uh, got a little thing here. Why don't you listen to it just for a second? Oh, hang on a second. Let's try this again here. Let's bring, we need to bring up the sound. It Once again, you cannot hear without the master here flipping the right buttons. <laughs> anyway, listen to this for a second. Oh, what, did you get that? Did you hear that? You know who that, you know what that was? That was your Dr. Paul here having an accident. 
two days ago. That's why I wasn't on yesterday doing the broadcast. Somebody decided to run into me out on the highway. The first part is them running into me and then me grunting because it just jarred me. Uh, and th this is all my, my car camera. And the second part was me running into the car in front of me because they hit me so hard. <laughs> and guess what? The people that were responsible for this are now wanting to lie about it. Don't tell the insurance company it was me. Tell or tell them that. Uh, tell them that it. Uh, actually, what they said was, "Don't tell the insurance company that it was my my employee that did this. I did it. They weren't there. They want me to be implicated in the lying. Not gonna go there, bud. Not gonna happen. Got the recordings. Got the camera footage. It ain't gonna work. But this is what is common in the world today." People lying about it and thinking, you know, we're going to get by with this. No, the heavens declare in a general way the glory of God, and it is truthful. And no matter how hard people try to go about changing that and then going off and worshiping their own idols, it's not going to change a thing. God is going to be glorified. God has revealed himself in nature. But he doesn't, doesn't stop there. Verse 19 says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? Now we're going to get to the special revelation. It's not just about nature. It's about a direct revelation from God. And this time it comes through Moses, who received the law up there on Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. And then later that was expanded, the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where you end up with 613 different laws on how to worship God and, and, and uh, treat your fellow human being. But I asked, did not Israel not understand? Of course they did. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. It's like, if you're not going to obey me, God says, after I've given this special revelation to Moses, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to take those nations, those persons who are not Jews, not the nation of Israel, and I'm going to use them to make you angry, make you jealous, because they're going to be converts. They're going to take your place. I'm going to graft them in as part of my salvific plan here that God had in place all along. And I, you, you take a look at many of the Jews today, and they're that way. They're jealous. People that they consider to be fools, unbelievers, of the, uh, those that are ungodly, without understanding. Now they understand because of the special revelation that God has shared with them here in the New Testament. And he doesn't just stop with Moses. He moves on to Isaiah. If, 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 just in case you don't know this, you know, the book of Romans, as I pointed out before, is the most theological book in the New Testament. And you want to know why? Because Isaiah is the most theological book in the Old Testament, and Paul constantly refers to the book of Isaiah when he's talking about God and his, his person and his salvation and his people and conversion. He constantly refers there, so he goes back to it once again. Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. That statement in itself, I had, I had to highlight that one, completely debunks the whole idea that a lost person goes looking for God. You don't go looking for God. Some people say, well, I think so. You found religion. You didn't find anything. God finds you. God comes looking for you. You don't go looking for God. Yeah, I've said before, you don't have any inclination as a lost person to go looking for God, even though God has created you in his image. But it is so tainted. It's so corrupt. And Paul said, you know, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You don't go looking for him. 
You're ashamed of him. You're angry with him. You're hostile towards him. I have been found by those who did not seek me. Why? Because I went looking for them. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. That's special revelation. That's part of what the gospel is about. If you want to reach the lost, whether it's your friend or your family member or an acquaintance or a colleague or something like that, you have got to present the gospel to them. That's how God convicts them. That's faith by hearing. It's not like this crap that I've heard before about, you know, lifestyle evangelism. I'm just such a wonderful Christian. Come on over here. We have such a good time with, with milk and cookies and games. That's not the gospel. You're not the gospel either. Tell them the truth. Tell them what God has to say about them. They'll be interested. If God is in the mix, if God is the one who's doing the drawing of that person into his family, they'll listen. I think that one of the biggest problems, in fact, they were talking about this on the radio today, you know, leadership and young people and Generation Z and all this kind of stuff, needing new leadership and needing a fresh start. You want a fresh start? Tell people the truth about them about how depraved they are. Uh, they'll resonate. If God is in the mix, they'll resonate. They'll understand. Yeah, you're right about that. I lie all the time. I want it my way. Tell them, you know, how big of an idolater they are without God. They'll listen. And then share with them the good news. You don't have to stay this way. If God is drawing you right now, confess him. Don't just, it's not, it's not one of these, I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry for that. Oh, you can be contrite, that's fine. But you need to agree with what God has to say before you'll ever realize what God has done to forgive you. And then he refers back to in 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long. Figure of speech here, you know, indicating just how much effort that God has put forth to try to redeem his own people all day long. I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The, the word disobedient, unpersuaded. The law hasn't persuaded them. Their idols have not persuaded them. In fact, it's led them to be contrary. Contrary, the NAS says obstinate. The King James says gainsaying because the word literally means to speak against. They are contrary or acting contrary, speaking out against what God has to say. They've set themselves up as the final authority. And how many people are doing that today? I've talked about it repeatedly here. No, God has a specific way of redeeming the lost. It is by his word. He takes the redeemed and he says, you know what? Go out there and talk to your friend. Go out there and talk to your family member. They may reject you, but ultimately they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're acting contrary speaking against what you've got to say. But as I've said before, the Word of God does not return void. It's going to either harden them or it's going to break them. And with prayer and care, consideration, preaching the truth, they just may, in God's providence, be saved, be rescued. Share that message with them. It's what the Apostle Paul said. He's given us the means. We need to follow it. We need to quit trying to buck the system and create our own way of doing things and start obeying God as he laid out the plan for us to follow. I'm glad you were with me here today. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you were equipped to live the Christian faith a little bit better. 
you can write me, podcast at capper.info. Till next time, you take care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.